Hello and welcome to Such Sights to See, the podcast about journeying through cinema with my good friend. I am Patrick and Eric, my co-host, the Letty to my Dom, is here with me. Hello. That's a reference I understand. <laughs> I thought you might. <laughs> it's because I have crippling amnesia, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, well, I won't spoil the, the franchise for anybody else. But Amazing. It is a true work of art that I think needs at least 10 installments, if not 50. I think when the next one comes out, we're just going to not roll a die and just go watch that and together. Yeah, no dice required. We will exactly. see. Exactly. <laughs> whatever number of fast and furious this is going to be nine, right, 10, right. 11. I don't know. Uh, there too many, uh, you know, and everyone I talk to you? knows that it should end at number seven, but I'm still enjoying watching them. Yeah, I know. No one can see your, your face of outrage. <laughs> all right. Selective magnetism. That's all I have to say. Yes. I mean, that was a big issue, but, uh, continue. <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about some other movies. Is there anything interesting you've seen in the past uh, two weeks since we talked last? Yeah, uh, I watched No Country for Old Men, oh, 2007, wow. Coen Brothers. Yeah. Uh, I did not like this movie when I first saw it way back. I think I got it from Blockbuster, you know, in 2008 or so. Wow. I didn't see it in the theaters. <laughs> it's an interesting movie for me as a Coen Brothers fan in general, in that it's kind of like a Coen Brothers not slash not Coen Brothers movie to me. And what I mean is that this is like classic Coen Brothers ensemble cast, uh, a lot of violence. Um, I guess the basic plot I'll start with is a Texas man stumbles on the scene of a drug deal gone wrong with a lot of dead people, finds a suitcase of $2 million. Um, there's a psychopath trying to track him down and kind of a sheriff caught in the middle watching the whole thing happen and I guess trying to stop it, but not really succeeding at stopping much of anything. He's always kind of a step late. Um, and why it's not like a Coen brothers movie to me, the dialogue I feel like is one of the most, you know, one of their hallmarks is that kind of snappy, snappy, witty dialogue. Yeah, for sure. And there's not much of it here. Huh. I feel like they really toned down the amount of dialogue and it is based on a book. Um, so maybe that has something to do with it. Although the book was very monologue. -y. The movie is uh, much different in the way that the main character in the book is clearly the sheriff. And he's kind of like a very much a side character in this. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know that I would have known that this was a Coen brothers movie, even though I, what does that say that this is the one that won best picture? <laughs> and it's like very much if I saw this, I don't think, you know, you you always almost know a Coen Brothers movie when you're watching it. Even if you don't know that they made it, you'll watch it and you're like, oh, this this feels like a Coen Brothers movie. This one did not. Um, yeah, it's been a couple of years since I've seen it. I saw it when it came out and then I watched it a couple of years ago kind of for the same reason, because I didn't like it when it came out that much. And I felt like I was missing something because it's so well reviewed. Um, and I liked it much more. I do remember that it does have, I guess, that like melancholic feeling that some Coen Brother movies have. Yeah, but I would say the Coen Brothers also do a great job of implementing humor, inserting humor into these, oh, you yeah. know, often quite violent, uh, even if they're depressing and sad and 
you know, violence written. There's humor. There is not a lot of humor or any at all. I don't feel like in this movie either. Yeah. I can't remember any, the other major departure, I think from their normal style. Mm -hmm. So, um, what did you think about the, on second viewing, the like anti-climax at the end? Still dissatisfying, but now I think I get it. Or at least I, I relate to it more. I relate to the Tommy Lee Jones because I'm an angry old man. I relate to that <laughs> <Right>. character. <laughs> um, and it's just, you know, I would equate it to being in a car crash when you know that this isn't going to be okay. You are going to crash the car and just kind of that resignation of, okay. you know, being in it mm-hmm. and knowing that this is not going to turn out okay and that it doesn't turn out okay. Um, right, right. I guess I can relate to that and just being old and tired and, you know, these things happen and there's not much you can do about it. Yeah, it's a very, the more you talk about it, the more depressing I remember it being. Because <laughs> that is a very <laughs> depressing description of what happens. It's true, though. And yeah. I, at least the movie captures that really well. Yeah, they, they succeeded in capturing that, that feeling, yeah. Hmm. Of inevitability. Inevitability, yes. Wow. Um, I have seen every Coen Brothers movie except Patterson, I believe. And No Country for Old Men is still like kind of in the middle for me. Yeah, I think that's fair. Mm-hmm. It's it Like I said, it to me, it was a different kind of movie from anything I've seen from them. Right, right. Hmm. Well, that's a good uh, depressing way to start the episode. You're welcome. <laughs> um, here, I'm going to jump in because I saw a couple movies. I was on vacation, so not as many as usual, but... I think I'm going to talk about them in ascending order of my rating. Why did you accentuate the ass part of ascending? (laughs) Because I was looking at your face. I'm sorry. Oh, wow. So the first one I'm going to talk about is uh, Netflix, new Netflix rom-com called wedding season about uh, takes place in the, the characters are all from Indian families and in India, there's a, there's a season where everybody gets married in like a couple months time. And these two people agree to be a fake couple for the wedding season. So they can, uh, not get annoyed by all their relatives trying to set them up. It sounds like a Bollywood Hugh Grant movie. Yeah, exactly. But it's an American movie. These are all uh, made in America. It's actually directed by a white dude, the guy who directed Shanghai Noon, <laughs> which is weird. <laughs> anyway, um, it's a rom-com full of all the tropes. Every trope imaginable is in here, but at least the characters are charismatic and it has a different um, aesthetic and outlook because of the the culture that it's portraying so that's nice too many twists too many of those like rom-com misunderstandings you know what i mean Mm -hmm. but still solid rom-com movie two and a half stars does it involve the two main characters either falling in love with each other or falling in love with other people and then their marriage leading to problems and misunderstandings (laughs) no it's it's definitely the former 
They they are pretending to be in love, and then oh my god, they actually fall in love. <laughs> I would not have seen that coming. Yep, and then misunderstanding keep, temporarily keeps them apart. <laughs> so, any other movies that you've seen besides the depressing one? Nothing worth talking about. Okay. Okay. Besides the two for this podcast. Oh yes, yes. All right, well I'll go quick because the the other ones that I saw were um kind of the same ballpark. The problem with Apu. Do you ever hear this documentary? No. Uh is it about the Simpsons character and the backlash of having him voiced by Hank Azaria? Yes, exactly. And how stereotyping that character is. Um, which I totally agree with. And uh, this documentary does a good job of kind of laying out those points about how uh, for a long time, Apu was the only Indian representation on TV. So that kind of led to just every character from a TV show that was Indian having this, you know, this fake accent and this stereotypical demeanor. Uh, and the guy who is making this documentary is a Simpsons fan. I mean, he does not deny that. Uh, Harry Kondabolu, he's a comedian, and he just is examining like his relationship to Apu over the years and how it has enforced the media stereotypes that exist. And uh, yeah, it's a good one. It's a good little documentary. Pretty slight. It's only an hour long. And the, what he's doing in the documentary, and he's, he's, he's trying to get an interview with Hank Azaria. And I'm going to spoil the fact that that never happens. So it's kind of a bit of a, well, kind of a letdown. <laughs> Hank Azaria is not interested in talking about uh, this, this situation. And yeah, so it kind of doesn't really get anywhere besides enlighten me about um, you know, something I never really thought about as a white dude. So that was yeah. interesting. I kind of, um, I don't know as much about it as probably I should, but I kind of do admire the way the Simpsons handled that when it was pointed out that this was problematic after, mm-hmm. you know, so many decades that they just kind of pulled the plug. Um, I do think my understanding is that a poo is no longer on the show. Is that correct? Do you know? I don't know, to be honest, I haven't watched the Simpsons regularly in a decade probably because i feel like i feel like i remember that's what they did and the only criticism i have is why wouldn't they just then give the role to an actual indian actor well i will say that the documentary which was made in 2017 so this could be out of date uh addresses how the simpsons addressed it and it was not great originally how they addressed it oh really yeah so maybe now they've done more but at the time they had an episode where they were talking about how Apu, the characters in the show were talking about how Apu was a stereotype. And then they brought out all the other stereotypical characters on the show, like the sea captain and the, 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 the Italian cook guy and like all these stereotypical things. And they just kind of brought them out uh, in that scene and then basically said like, oh, well, what are we going to do about oh, it? <laughs> yeah, I don't remember that. Uh, maybe there was a lot of backlash to that. And then there, there was kind of... backlash for that, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So now okay. they probably well, corrected it. I guess I was wrong and misremembering. 
No, no, I'm sure that's probably what's ha- we'll have to do some research, but I bet that's what happened afterwards because the documentary only goes up to that point. Um, but yeah, I mean, is the Simpsons still relevant anymore? I mean, I mean, people still watch it, but yeah, God, how long has it been? It's 25 years ish oh, over, over 30. Oh, I'm sorry. 35, 35 years rather. Yeah. I'm yeah. just bad at math. Excuse me. <laughs> I was like 1980 something to 2022. Yeah. That sounds like 30, 25 years. Yeah. 87 was when it started on Tracy Ullman show. 89 was the, the TV show. Crazy. Crazy. All right. Well, that's a interesting little documentary. If you want to become enlightened, more woke. Um, speaking of woke, the movie I saw in the theater, a new one, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Oh, I really want to see this. Yeah, directed by Helena Rain, Rajin. I don't know how to pronounce her last name. I apologize. Sounds like you need to get more woke. <laughs> yes. It's a. It's essentially a slasher about a group of, I guess, what's the generation after millennials? Gen Z? I don't know. <laughs> the 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 20-somethings of the current era who you are You mean the people that everybody actually thinks are millennials even though they're it's really like basically, you know, us. Right, right. <laughs> um <clears throat> so it's a slasher, a bunch of these uh 20-somethings are at holding up at a rich house, one of the them, one of their mansions during a hurricane. They're having a hurricane party where they're just going to like lock lock themselves in and party. And they play this game called bodies, 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 which is essentially a, uh, someone's a murderer. You wander around in the dark and then the person who's a murderer has to kill somebody, fake kill somebody. And then you have, and once everyone wakes up, once the lights turn on, you have to guess who the murderer was. Dumb little party game that leads to uh, a real murder happening. Pete Davidson is definitely in this movie, as is um, Maria Bakalova from Borat and Rachel Sennett from uh, um, Shiva Baby, which is a great movie. Anyway, it really gets this like self-absorbed young 20-something uh, Instagram-y uh, generation it really satirizes that. I don't know how accurate it is, but it felt pretty accurate to me as an older guy. You were you were <laughs> just about to tread into boomer territory there. I know, right? But um, not just the the fact that they're on social media and obsessed with their image, but also their the fact that they're very obsessed with how woke they appear. You know, mm-hmm. um, they are going out of their way to be. Uh, super liberal and accepting and it's almost that they're doing it in a way that is it, they're doing it in a very superficial way where you can tell that they're just doing it for how it looks and the movie gets that across like slacktivism characters yeah gets it gets it across for these characters very well so that's kind of cool uh to see how people like that act when they start dying off it's just very heavy-handed in the third act with the symbolism also the motivations for the characters kind of fall apart. But until then, it's really entertaining, really well-made, good camera work, great acting. Uh, I just wish it had sort of a better third act. The climax is good, though. Like, the reveal of what's happening is, is a good one. So I still recommend it. 
Ooh, I'm looking forward to seeing it myself. All right, I got one more that I'm going to talk about that I think you may have seen. I hope so. <laughs> it's a movie from 2001 directed by Tom Green called Freddy Got Fingered. I have not seen that. I hate Tom Green. Oh, really? Okay. <clears throat> I have Is no relationship. Freddy, do you want some sausages movie? Yes. I have no relationship to Tom Green at all. Uh, I never watched his show. Don't really know much about him. I only heard this as like a horrible movie that everybody hates, but then there's been some talk in the past couple of years of how it's like an undersung comedic uh, masterpiece. And the reason people are saying that is because Tom Green was given like a blank check of a couple million dollars because he was so popular to make whatever movie he wanted. And he basically did like the biggest practical joke against the studio and pissed it away on this dumb, dumb meta movie (laughs) that has some like really weird anti-comedy in it that's like purposely not funny but because of that it's very funny so i laughed a lot the story is pointless the stuff that happens is random and off the wall but sometimes very very funny it reminds me of like these movies. Remember when we saw movie 43 and we were like, this is pretty funny. <laughs> I nobody else liked it. Like that movie. <laughs> yeah. It's a say I felt the same watching this. I'm like, why Although, do people hate this movie? <laughs> if anybody is actually listening to this, I'll say that the movie that you can get streaming of movie 43 is different than the one that I saw in theaters. Really? It is a completely different frame story. Cause you know, it's just, Movie 43 is basically a series of skits. Um, And in the version, at least that I saw in the theaters, it turns out that these are skits that Dennis Quaid is pitching to a studio executive. Yeah. Common. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. The one that's streaming online is a bunch of high school kids. Um, I forget what it's on Netflix or Hulu or something. Uh, It's a bunch of high school kids trying to find movie 43 that has become like this internet rumor of this movie that exists really and it's a lot less good oh okay i am intrigued why that would happen i don't know i was i thought i had entered an alternate dimension because i was like what what the hell is this yeah, that's uh, okay. More reason we we have to make a list of stuff we have to research between episodes because this intrigues me too. <laughs> but um, all right. Well, back to Freddy Sorry. Got Fingered. Yep. Uh, no, no problem. I watched it on Hulu, and I'm assuming it's the original theatrical version. Who knows? But there, like, there's yeah, there's the daddy. Do you want some sausage sausage scene? Which his father's played by Rip Torn, by the way. Rip Torn is hilarious. Greatest name in film history. Yeah, he's his best name. He's also extremely funny and extremely game for whatever they make him do in comedies. And he has that like gruff, gravelly, like half drunk voice. You can <laughs> dodge a wrench. You can dodge a ball. Yeah, exactly. He is. Uh, I love Rip Torn. He's a weird dude in real life, apparently. One story I heard about him is that he got so drunk one day that he thought a bank was his house and tried to break into it and got arrested. 
<laughs> I hope that's true. And I will not look it up. Yeah. That is something I will not research between episodes because I just want it so badly to be my headcanon. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so he's going headcanon. He is, he is very funny as Tom Green's dad in this one. And there's just, I don't know, there's a lot of weird humor. I, I recommend you watch it. I recommend everybody watch it because it's really like this. Yeah, like an anti-comedy, like screw you to the studio. Like you, you can't believe you gave me $14 million. Look what I'm going to do with it sort of thing. And I, I'd love to see the studio's executive's face when they saw the final cut of this movie. <laughs> I, you know, Tom Green annoyed me even when I was a teenager, which I do wonder now if I would get it more because I remember Tom Green just being obnoxious and stupid. But I don't think as like a 13, 14, 15, whatever year old that I probably would have been able to understand what he was doing or trying to say if he was trying to do or say anything. Right. So I would be interested in going back and looking at some of it. I just remember thinking it was obnoxious and annoying and stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that, maybe that was true of his TV show and Freddie got fingered. It is kind of true of it as well, but just the fact that the studio made this movie with like, you know, on 35 millimeter for millions of dollars is just like a meta, uh, reason to that. It's funny. (laughs) Yeah. I can totally see that. Yeah. All right. Well, enough about Freddie got fingered. I'm going to talk one more. I forgot about I don't know how I forgot about this movie because it is excellent and it's a high quality movie. One of the best I've seen in a good bit. The Long Goodbye, Robert Altman, 1973. It is a Philip Marlowe movie. You know, the old uh, um, Raymond Chandler character. I believe it was Raymond Chandler that wrote those books. Anyway, it's uh, he's a private eye played by Elliot Gould. Uh, Elliot Gould in the seventies was like a God. He is so cool in this movie. He's so cool. in like every seventies movie now he's like, you know, frumpy dad, but Elliot Gould was super cool back in the seventies. And it's just kind of like this big shaggy dog story where nothing like there's a mystery, but it's not really about the mystery. You just kind of follow Philip Marlowe around and all these various subplots that are pulling him in different directions. There's, you know, one of his friends is uh, was murdered and he's trying to figure out who did it. And then he has to like, he gets hired to rescue uh, a aging drunk author from a mental hospital that is keeping him there against his will. And then uh, there's a villain that's after him for some missing money. And the villain, one of the villains henchmen is Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> in a very oh, early awesome. role, which is great. Was he Was he overdubbed? He did not have any speaking lines in this oh, one, wow. but he was definitely, there's a scene where he, the villain makes all his bodyguards strip down and you get to see Arnold Schwarzenegger take off, you know, most of his clothing, which is funny because he's like a, this is Mr. Olympia days. You know, he's mm-hmm. like really uh, not human looking compared to the other guys, but yeah, great movie filled with like that Altman dialogue all over the place and just, I don't know, just kind of a movie that's really fun to like sit in and enjoy. And and it does have an, an, an actual ending, even though the movie kind of just goes all over the place into different directions. It does uh, come together pretty well. Cool. Great movie. Long goodbye. All right. That's it for my uh, recap. 
but I'm excited to talk about our movie that we had to watch. Are you for this episode? Yes. Would you like to do a description of it? Yeah, Guns Akimbo. We're going to be talking about today by Jason Lee Howden from February 2020. Uh, possibly caused the pandemic. I'm not 100 percent sure, but it came out <laughs> about a week or two before the pandemic hit. Guns Akimbo is the story of a disillusioned computer programmer slash internet troll who antagonizes a cyber anarchist group, only to have them literally bolt guns to his hands in revenge. Plot gimmick firmly in place, he is now part of their game and must fight a ruthless psychopathic killer to the death or risk losing not only his life, but also the lives of his best and only apparent friend and ex-girlfriend. <laughs> Will he run? Yes. A lot. Repeatedly. Will he fight? <laughs> kind of. Maybe. A little bit. Will he be able to pee without shooting his own penis off? I don't want to spoil it, but all of these questions and probably more will be answered in Guns Akimbo. <laughs> well done. Yeah, that's that's Guns Akimbo. I mean, uh, Daniel Radcliffe plays the titular character, and... Samara that's... Webbing is the female lead who plays mm-hmm. an insane psychopathic killer named Nix. Yes. I think that the only reason that I was able to watch this movie is because Daniel Radcliffe has screen presence and is kind of charming, even when he's playing a schlubby uh, anti-hero sort of guy. Yeah. Um, I guess the nicest thing I could say about this movie is that I really loved the color palette. I like that super saturated, you know, neon kind of saccharine sweet colors, mm-hmm. uh, co- very comic book movie or comic book, even just comic book colors. The lighting was really cool. I liked the way everything looked. Everything else, not so much. And I really like Samara Webbing and um, Danny Radcliffe in general, just not particularly in this film. I think that uh, my main problem, well, I think the plot is fine. Like the, the core concept is fine. The screenplay and the direction felt like it was made by like 17 year old guys who were like, this is the coolest thing ever. And then, you know, and they had this, yeah. uh, these like cool, uh, these shots where someone would like pose or have like a one liner and they were kind of lame, but the movie thought they were so cool. <laughs> In the moment. Yes, that is something I felt <laughs> the whole time. Like things were inconsistent. And yeah, it was like they wrote a couple of cool one liners and then tried to make a scene around that and it didn't always mm-hmm. fit. It was mm-hmm. very much like almost like winking into the camera almost at times. Uh, I felt like both of the the kind of because Samara Webbing's kind of a villain for most of the movie. Yeah. Um, you learn a little bit more about her character, but you know, her and the main, the head of this group, uh, which I don't even remember his name or the name of the group that was kind of like this underground anarchy fight club kind of thing, like a live video game. People all around the world would tune in to watch people, you know, have literal death matches. Um, they were so cartoonish, like Jared Leto's Joker kind of characters <laughs> that were just like, yeah, yeah it was everything like, was over the top. Yeah, it was like the directors watched Suicide Squad and loved it. Like they were the only two people on planet Earth that loved that movie, and then were like, "We're making Guns Akimbo. <laughs> this is what we're doing." Yep, and it's like they they move the camera constantly, and 
almost without reason. Like mm-hmm. they, it's, it's, it's almost like they wanted to have this energy to the film, but didn't know how to do it properly. So they just made everything move around a lot. You know what it reminded me of? You remember uh, when DVDs first came out and I think they like still lampoon this kind of thing, but it's like, you wouldn't steal a car. And it was totally, you know, <laughs> the, the anti-piracy thing, but it was shot like totally late nineties, early two thousands. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you know, jittery hand cam. That's what this movie reminded me of at times when I was watching it, like almost like a music video, crazy, frenetic action. But like at times it didn't make sense. And you're just why? Yeah, yeah, I totally get that. That is exactly what it was. It had this direct to video feel too for me. Maybe the colors that you were talking about amplified that in my mind because everything felt like digital video in a way. Yeah. And yeah. And, and that kind of made all the action not really land. Like people are getting shot left and right, but I didn't feel any of the bullet hits. People were just, you know, dropping, you know, they weren't. They didn't have any real impact or anything. Everything felt kind of fake. Yeah. I thought it was kind of inconsistent across the board. Like on one hand, this Nick's character is an insane psychopathic killer and nothing can stand in her way. On the other hand, she can't kill Daniel Radcliffe like immediately, who is uh, basically a pacifist who just runs away. (laughs) Yes. Uh, But yet she's mowing down all of these seasoned hardcore killers in several other scenes, like without even really batting an eye or breaking a sweat. And you're just like, why is she all of a sudden terrible? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know what the movie was really trying to say. Like it seemed like it was trying to be fun, but then they would insert lines like where he's, he doesn't have a cell phone because he has guns, literally guns for hands. So he can't hold anything. And he's like walking down the street and he's like, it's been so long since I haven't looked at my phone. It's like, everything's in high def, which is one of the dumbest things. But like, I'm, there were a bunch of things like that where I'm like, are you trying to make this movie about, you know, screen dependence or like living instead of living through a screen, but then nothing really adds up. That's a great point. Cause that line, I remember that line, it kind of came out of nowhere and, and didn't, wasn't really referenced later. The movie doesn't have a clear uh, point besides being, you know, crazy goofy action was kind of how I felt while watching it. Yeah. Which is fine. Like I love, movies like that that are just kind of crazy goofy action but it felt to me like they were trying to do something else Mm -hmm. right yeah i don't know i don't know if i'm reading too much into some of those like lines i can't remember anything else off the top of my head no it's true Um, it's true there's also like very dramatic uh character stuff in this movie that doesn't really go anywhere like uh nix's history for example um you know being killed by the her family being killed by the main bad guy and then her father becomes a cop and she goes crazy. And now her father's trying to find her. And then once you figure all that out, the father gets killed and then you, you know, it just kind of forgets about that plot. Yeah. It was like, that part was very much like a comic book, you know, action story, um, like an origin story for that character. Mm -hmm. But then it, it ultimately means nothing. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I feel like 
it, it had potential. Like it's a cool concept despite being so gimmicky of a guy waking up with guns literally bolted to his hands and a, and a bullet count. I liked that part of it. Yeah. The bullet count. Yep. Uh, but I feel like, you know, what if somebody like Edgar Wright took this like fledgling script and then made, you know, something like um, Scott Pilgrim versus the world, you know? Yes. I can tell that. Yeah. The, the filmmakers here definitely may have been influenced by some Edgar Wright camera stuff and just weren't able to pull it off. Yeah. It was um imitation that was not flattering. I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I did like, uh, so the guns for hand thing led to some fun moments. Daniel Radcliffe trying to use the bathroom, for example, like you mentioned, you know, little things like that were entertaining. So I enjoyed that about it. Uh, Reese Darby had a really funny cameo, I thought, as the homeless guy, but again, felt so out of place with the rest of the movie. Oh, that's who that guy is. I had to, I just had to look him up now because I, that character was definitely the best part of the movie in my mind. <laughs> but he the, didn't really fit with anything. He didn't. No, he didn't. It was just like a funny side story. <laughs> that really felt like it was just there to give this guy a fun cameo. Yeah. So I don't know. What would you give it on your, your letterboxed? I gave it two out of five. Yeah. I think I'm there with you too. I, I, and I also, yeah, I think it could have been really fun and like, it's a fun, fun concept, despite how totally gimmicky and like almost eye rollingly dumb it is. (laughs) <laughs> like I, I do want to watch a movie with a guy who has guns for hands like yeah, that. That's yeah. right up my alley and just did not deliver. Yeah. I also did not deliver. I was hoping for like a, like a shoot 'em up style movie, but uh didn't get it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, part of that, I think the problem is with the gun. Ca- he only has a hundred bullets and everybody else in this movie is like, throwing them away like they're worthless right how many yeah i would love to get like a full bullet count in this movie because everybody else and then that's i think why they they tied themselves to this concept and i think that's why he just kind of runs away from most of the movie which is not exciting in an action movie to have your main character run away all the time right right yeah you want a character with agency and he for most of the movie doesn't have agency. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, uh, hopefully we watch something better. Would you like to go first or would you like me to go? Why don't you go? All right. So after watching guns akimbo, I was in, uh, inspired to watch another movie about, uh, shoot 'em up type with the shoot 'em up type style. The thing that, really bothered me about guns akimbo was how the gunplay and the action never felt substantial. Like what I said earlier, the bullet hits didn't feel real. And the, I didn't really care about who was dying and who was living for most of it. But there's one director that makes movies where I always feel the bullet hits and always care about why people are getting shot. And that is John Woo. So I, I was going to say that. <laughs> nice. Nice. So, you know, I watched one of his Hong Kong movies, so probably oh, one you so haven't not seen. Face Off, the best movie ever made. I've already seen Face Off, and it is great. But I watched A Better Tomorrow, 1986. This is John Woo's first, not his first movie, but his first movie in this style, like this uh, 
bullet ballet sort of um, <clears throat> operatic brotherhood story that he is really known for in his Hong Kong days. Do it you stars... have any idea what you just did? What did I do? You created the coolest movie title I think I've ever heard. <laughs> bullet ballet. Bullet ballet. Yes, there there is a movie with that title, actually. <laughs> oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> yep. And uh, it's actually a term that has been used to describe um, John Woo movies in general, or that type of Hong Kong shoot 'em up mm. Which I so I can't take credit for it, but it fits so well. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> Better Tomorrow is stars uh, T. Long, Leslie Chung, and Chow Yun Fat. And like before he was really famous, this is a movie that kind of made him and John Woo household names, so to speak. And it's simple story of two brothers one's a cop, one's a criminal. The criminal is promised to get out of the criminal game by his dying father and the cop. Uh, but something goes wrong and all the, all the triad people try to murder this guy's family. And then the brother never forgives him. And then they go their separate ways. And <clears throat> eventually their lives collide together again. Uh, I'm not doing the story too much justice, but what's important to know is just that there's clear motivations Every emotion is like in your face, like raw emotions coming out of these characters. Like these guys are like crying in the rain and like you can see the the anguish and love, brotherly love on their faces. And it's just like really operatic. And you combine that with some gunplay that you can feel the bullet hits. People are dying by getting shot multiple times with like squibs and then sparks flying behind them and smoke and explosions. And it's just like John Woo is always great about filling the frame with like frenetic physical action. And you feel it in this movie and you combine that with just some really great emotions and really clear character motivations. And it's just, it's a really great one. If I took the over on doves flying uh, by, you know, in the midst of a, a, gunfight in this movie if i set it at 10 and took the over would i win or lose you would lose there are no doves in this movie are you sure john woo made it (laughs) i am sure this is probably before he learned what a dove was (laughs) (laughs) i think he he definitely has some in in his hong kong movies but this like i said was his first like gun fu movie um and it, one thing I do want to touch on is Chow Yun-Fat, who plays the coolest character ever. He's just like super suave, super cool. He's one of the partners of the criminal. And he's just like, I don't know, he's a criminal with a heart of gold. He's really cool. He like lights a cigarette with burning $100 bills. And it's just like in the first five minutes of the movie, he does that. It's just really He's really suave, really cool. Well, thanks for the inflation, Chow Yun. <laughs> yeah, uh, don't worry, it was it was counterfeit. And then um, I I will spoil a little bit about this movie, in case anybody cares. I will say that Chow Yun Fat's character does not survive until the end of the movie, but he was so popular that in a Better Tomorrow Two, they brought him back as his brother. So they just brought back the same character and made him that guy's brother. Sounds very so. Is he his long lost twin? 
I don't know. I have not seen the second one yet, but I will be watching it. I don't even think John Woo did the second one. Let's see. A Better Tomorrow 2 is directed Should have just by... been A Better Tomorrow Tomorrow. Oh, it is a John Woo movie. Yep, it just says X-Con Brother. <laughs> but he's back. Mm. What if it was A Better Tomorrow Tonight was the the sequel's name? That'd be a cool See, name. You, you should be in charge of things like this. I should. <laughs> anyway, A Better Tomorrow is a, is, a, is a four-star movie. Four out of five. Wow. Yep. Well, I went the opposite direction. This is, I, I watched a movie that you and our mutual friend Edward have been trying to get me to watch, I think, Ooh. since it came out. Do you have any guesses? What have we been trying to get you to watch? It is, I will, uh, one hint is that it is, I, I went with another Harry Potter, Daniel Radcliffe movie. Oh, okay. Is it uh, Swiss Army Man? It is the Daniel Scheinert, Dan Kwan, Swiss Army Man movie from 2016, of Excellent. which we took a, a fantastic photo of ourselves reenacting the movie poster in the movie theater. Oh, um, I forgot about that. Side yeah. note for our viewers at home. Spot on impression. It is the it story was. of a shipwreck survivor played by Paul Dano, who finds a dead body played by Daniel Radcliffe as he contemplates suicide on a deserted island. Uh, he decides against suicide and the man in the corpse go on an adventure of self-discovery that involves far more flatulence than one would expect. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I feel like this movie was like what Weekend at Bernie's would be if it were written and directed by Spike Jones with a soundtrack <laughs> by Arcade Fire. Oh, well, uh, nicely done. Nicely done. Yeah. I'm not 100% sure how to categorize it. It's kind of an absurdist fantasy magical realism kind of fantasy movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I like it. I really, really, really enjoyed this movie. It was hilarious. I also think it's kind of a metaphor for loving yourself and a social commentary on, you know, how stupid it is that we close our off or sorry, close ourselves off to people, even about something as little as, you know, farting, uh, you know, <laughs> right. you hide it even from your best friends. Um, yeah, and how I wish you would of, hide it from me. Yeah, well, aren't you lucky that I don't? <laughs> yeah, I just really loved it. And I, I normally don't like movies that are so... You can watch this movie two ways. Either as a, well, I would never call it a straightforward movie. But either take it at face value as a guy kind of finds this corpse and then jet skis his way via fart back to civilization, <laughs> yep. um, which is crazy. But, you know, that's kind of the, the topic surface level, topical surface level of what happens in the movie or as a metaphor for, you know, kind of coming to terms with your faults and accepting yourself for who you are. And, um, you know, not just not sweating the small stuff and, you know, I don't know. It was wild. It is wild. It is wild. I don't really don't yeah. like movies that are so open to interpretation of what the hell was that? But I thought that this was so funny um, and so well done that I just really enjoyed it. Good, good. I'm glad you did. I like, and after watching everything everywhere all at once, I can see that the Daniels are really good at creating like these, um, like these cl- climactic momentous moments 
like in the middle of their movies, just out of like nothing really. Mm -hmm. Like this one had the scene in the bus where he's pretending to be his, uh, the love of his life sort of thing. And, and that scene was like really cool. Yeah, it was, I think this is something that uh, all humans do is kind of relive those, those moments. There's a moment in the movie where you think he's dating this Mary Elizabeth Winstead character. Um, and it turns out that they never met, but he's, you know, got her. It's really creepy. Actually, he's got her as a cell phone background. And he thinks yeah. like, you know, I would have been with her if I just made that move. But now he's on this island or whatever. Um, and just kind of reliving that moment and thinking of what he could have or should have done. This great big regret he has is not have having talked to Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Um so there were a lot of relatable things in this really crazy movie. And I just loved the Danny Radcliffe character. Um, the corpse does kind of start to reanimate. Uh, and just the things he says have this childlike misunderstanding, but that's perfectly hilarious. And the gross things he says, something about um, masturbation. And he's talking about, the Paul Dano's character is named uh, Hank Thompson, which I think was a nod to Tom Hanks in Castaway, because that's the other oh, movie that this is yeah. a lot like. Um, mentions the, you know, getting caught and his mom saying something off color and the Daniel Radcliffe character says something along the lines of, so you can't masturbate because it makes you think of your mom and he's like, well, when I masturbate, I'll think of your mom. And it's so innocent and dumb because <laughs> yes. he doesn't understand what he's saying, but also hilarious. Yep. And the whole movie is full of stuff like that. Yeah. Which is, I think, the commentary of how dumb are we as a species that, like, you know, we can't fart in front of each other, even though it's a natural thing, mm. you know. Yeah, that's a good good way of looking at it. I got to watch this movie again. It's been a long time, but I'm glad you saw it. Glad yeah, you it did it. kind of worry me uh towards the end of the third act you know and they're kind of back in civilization and it starts to unravel a little bit i thought but then you know kind of saves itself at the last minute okay yeah cool all right well i think uh that was good for this episode but we should pick a movie for next episode um I think it's your I, turn, if I remember I correctly. We have a die ready here. We have our list of 20 movies. I'm going to roll randomly to see what we will both watch. Uh-oh. I rolled a very low number, a three. Gods of Egypt. Gods of Egypt, directed by Alex Proyas from 2016. A common thief joins a mythical god on a quest through Egypt. Oh, for some reason, I always think that this is um, Christian Bale, but it's really Jamie Lannister. Yes. I think you might be thinking of Kingdom of Heaven, maybe. Or was he in like Noah or one of those biblical epics? That was Russell Crowe. Okay. More research needs to be done. (laughs) (laughs) I'm looking at the poster. Why do they look like they're Transformers? Um, I don't know, but I will read this first review from one of my friends on Letterboxd. 
half the people in this movie are nine feet tall and it never stops being fun to look at. Well, that is very encouraging. Yeah. 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 This is i I'm a big fan of, well, not a big fan, but I'm a fan of Alex Proyas. So it would be good to see what he can do with like this weird concept. What else has he made? He made dark city and the crow and knowing like the original crow. Yeah. First crow. Wow. I guess Dark City and The Crow are the two that I like. <laughs> he also made iRobot and Knowing. The Dan Oh, the, uh, Knowing was terrible. Nicolas Cage movie. But that was, I mean, from what I remember, that was mostly script problems. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'm actually excited to watch this, even though it's got a... 1.9 on Letterboxd. Oh my God, 1.9. All right, yeah, I'm excited too. I did want to see this one, so you can blame me if it's horrible. And I will. <laughs> All right, well, I guess we'll reconvene next episode. In the meantime, you can go check out my Letterboxd account. My name on there is Long Monkey. Follow along with what I watch. You can check out my other projects at proleary.com. Eric, is there anything you have to plug? Uh, nope, not today. Maybe someday I'll open up a letterboxed account. Probably you should. Not. I mean, that's a lot of work. I, mean, <laughs> I would love if you had a letterboxed account, but what if I just gave everything five stars just to like, you know, I feel bad for movies like gods of Egypt, a 1.9. A lot of people worked really hard on that. I'll give it a five. Oh, okay. Well, Let's see how long that lasts with some of the movies we've been watching. (laughs) Except for P.T. Anderson. Those will always get uh, zeros. All right. Well, (laughs) with that, we'll call this episode to a close. Thank you for listening. Have a good night and sweet dreams. Stay away from licorice pizza. It's terrible. Somehow worse than licorice pizza would actually taste.